Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So, as is tradition, uh, we're going to be wrapping up our coverage of Commander Legends Battles for Battle for Baldur's Gate uh, with a look at our old predictions from Streets of Nukapenna, as well as our new predictions for which cards from Battle for Baldur's Gate are going to see the most adoption on EDH Rec. So uh, we'll we'll start off with our SNC projections. We're going to go over the the cards we chose and then compare them to the the actual adoption from uh, EDH Rec. And then we're going to go into our Battle for Baldur's Gate, which we're going to do slightly differently this time. Uh, historically, you know, I would have my own predictions and Zach would have his predictions. This time we're we're, we're bringing them, we're kind of bringing them together into a single unified commander theory set of predictions and we'll do a little bit of discussion uh to get to that point because i've got some ideas zach's got some ideas and we're going to synthesize those and we agree on on a decent amount you know yeah i think it's not going to be too uh contentious Mm -hmm. for the most part yeah yeah uh but let's start off with our streets of nukapenna predictions Uh, i'll read mine off first so the the 10 cards i thought would see the most adoption And, and just a quick reminder for how this works uh when we do our predictions, we tend to group land cycles together, um, and we only cover new cards. So reprints uh, are not something that we really take into account. So like the the fact that the Battle Bond lands are going to be coming back in Baldur's Gate, uh, that doesn't they're not going to make it onto our list, and we're not going to count those as hits or misses. Okay, but for SNC, uh, I had on my list the Tri Lands. Uh, These are the rare land cycles that Enter the Battlefield tapped. They can cycle for three, and they have three basic land types. I I just figured that the Triomes from uh, Ikoria all saw a huge adoption. I think this was a pretty easy guess. Um, On my list, I also had an offer you can't refuse. This is the the single blue instant speed counter spell uh, that gives the, or or rather, that counters a non-creature spell and gives its controller two treasure tokens. Uh, and that one, it just, it, there's a lot of easy comparisons with like Swan Song or, or similar, um, slightly narrow but undercosted counter spells. And I thought that was a, a pretty easy one to, to guess as well. Um, I had Ledger Shredder on my list. This one just seems like it would offer a huge amount of card selection in a very short amount of time and, and especially for the amount of mana you're putting into it. Uh, number four on my list was Professional Facebreaker. This is the three mana, two, three menace um, that, that does a couple things. So whenever you, a creature you control, or rather, whenever a player is dealt combat damage by a creature you control, uh, you create a treasure token. So it can potentially generate three treasures per combat and three person or in a four-person game. And then you can sacrifice a treasure to impulse draw the top card of your library. Uh, that one just it 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 produced mana, it produced cards. Um, it was an engine for your treasure decks. That one seemed like an easy guess. I had a witty roast master next. This was like the impact tremors, but three mana and a creature, and and the high adoption of impact tremors kind of is what made me include that made me take a second look at that card number six on my list 
bootlegger stash. This is five and a green for an artifact. Lands you control have tap, create a treasure token. And if you'll remember the, the last time we did a predictions episode, I basically included this one because I was very cynical about it. Uh, I don't, I still don't think the card is very good. I think it's like useful in very narrow circumstances, usually involving like a wilderness reclamation or a seedborn muse, something like that. Um, but it had a lot of hype at the time, and I put it on my list on the basis of that hype rather than my, my actual expectations for the card. Uh, number seven on my list was Topiary Stomper. This was the three mana plant dinosaur. It, that is a 4-4 Vigilance that can't attack or block until you control 7 or more lands. And then when it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a basic land, put it on the battlefield tapped, and then shuffle. Um, basis for that was looking at cards like Wood Elves, uh, Spring Bloom Druid, similar types of 3-mana little ETB creatures that ramp you. Uh, number 8 on my list was Scheming Fence. And I, I feel like... If I was going to be consistent with how I made my picks, I probably shouldn't have had Scheming Fence and Bootlegger Stash like both be part of my predictions. Because Bootlegger Stash was like, people are you know really evaluating this card too highly, uh, but I'm going to include it because on the basis of that. Scheming Fence, I think, had the opposite problem, where even at the time, I could kind of tell it was going under people's radars. Um, but it seemed like a very powerful card. Uh, number and scheming fence is the the white blue uh, human citizen that when it enters the battlefield, you basically shut off an opponent's permanent. Um, you, you choose a uh, permanent opponent controls, and they can't use its activated abilities. But scheming fence gains that permanent's activated abilities, so you can shut off a soul ring, and and scheming fence becomes a soul ring, or you can shut off a commander with an activated ability or something like that. A lot of good potential for that card. Uh, number nine on my list was Void Rend. This is the Esper instant, so uh, it costs white, black, blue. It can't be countered, and it destroys target non-land permanent. Uh, that one, I was just kind of basing it off of similar, like, charms so like sultai charm was the one that really came to mind is like almost a universal answer or like bant charm you know just deals with a lot of different problems and those have like relatively high adoption so i thought void ren might uh might pull it out and then number 10 on my list was luxior giada's gift so this was the equipment that animates a planeswalker um and also, it can give a creature plus a plus one for each counter on it. So there was a, a fair bit of interest when this came out about like comboing it with Devoted Druid or, or slapping it on a Sahili Rai and going infinite. Um, that this was another like slightly cynical one in that I didn't think Luxior was that good. I think I thought that its combos were not incredibly easy to assemble. But I just thought folks, the, based on the interest that people were showing for it, uh, I included it on my list. Audible mention to Endless Detour. This is the, the Bant instant. Uh, so green, blue, white. Uh, put target spell or non-land permanent um, 
or choose target spelling on land permanent, its controller puts it on the top or the bottom of their library. I mean, I've been jokingly calling that the actual broker's charm um, mm -hmm. just because it does so many things. Oh, sorry. I, I missed a mode on that. It can also target uh, cards in graveyard. Yeah. So Yeah, whatever you want. There it goes. Mm -hmm. Very silly. Tell us about your uh, your picks and especially like the logic behind the ones that uh, differed from my list. Yeah. Um, so I had started with Professional Facebreaker uh, and then I went into Halo Fountain just because I've... Uh, this is a trend that you'll see on this episode too. I am just always convinced that the new spicy white thing is going to catch on with people. Um, Halo Fountain is the three mana artifact, two and a white, and it has three activations. One of them untaps a creature, pay white, tap it, make a 1-1 one, one citizen. Uh, one of them is pay two white, tap it, untap two creatures, draw a card, and the last one is untap 15 creatures, tap it, and I think, was it six mana? Something like that, like white, 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 white. Um, just a lot of white, and you win the game. Mm -hmm. Um... So that's not that hard. Oh, it's only five white. Sorry. Yeah, it's even easier. <laughs> it is in a decent amount of decks. It did not. Well, oh, we'll get into that, I guess. But uh, I, I, even putting it on my list, going through it, I was like, I don't know if this is going to make it. Because it just plays a lot worse than it sounds. Like It sounds like you're giving like a creature or two creatures vigilance and getting like um, stuff for it. But really what it ends up being like is... Uh, if you don't have a way to tap your creatures, it kind of like you might lose them in the middle of combat just to like what draw an extra card. So that was my number two. Broker's Ascendancy, I just think is like really good for the specific decks it goes into, mainly like Bant plus one plus one counter decks and Bant Super Friends decks. Like having another, the Angel, Proliferate Angel. Oh, Atraxa? Yeah, having just like another Atraxa trigger every turn seems like absolutely busted. So that was on my list. Voidrend was also on my list. It's just, it's very good. Giada Font of Hope. I figured this was going to not just be a um, commander from the deck, but also go into pretty much every angel tribal list of other colors because there aren't only mono white angel decks. Um, so I was expecting that to take off a little more. Um, a nudge, nudge. <laughs> um, Riveter's Charm was next, and I was thinking about this one very similarly to how uh, Nick was thinking about Voidrend. Um, the modes on Riveter's Charm all do something like very useful that mimic another card that already exists. So, the first mode is target opponent sacks a creature or planeswalker with the highest mana value, which is pretty similar to Soulrend, except one player instead of all of them. Um, exile the top three cards of your library. You can play them until the end of the, your next uh, end step, and it's an instant, so you can be like, oh, okay, I didn't have to like kill anything. I'll draw three cards. And then um, exile player's graveyard, which is like not really anything, but useful to have on a card. Like It's one of the reasons I think Rakdos Charm is uh, as popular as it is, is that Rakdos Charm just like specifically poses like very... It, well, I mean, it destroys an artifact, but it also hoses two very particular like types of combos. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's one of the reasons why people like it, because Rakdos Charm is in 44,000 decks, uh, which is pretty buck wild. But that was why I was thinking about that one. Uh, Rumor Gather was my next one. Uh, this is the three mana elf, the white elf. Um, when a creature enters, you scry one. If it's your second creature, you uh, draw a card. Um, 
figured that was great. White's very good at doing that, and it basically seems like just draw like one to three more cards every turn cycle. Um, an offer you can't refuse is on my list. It just seemed fun, good. Um, it, I I figured people would play it because like the treasures were like a benefit to political play. Like ah, I'm countering your thing, but at least you get some treasures. Uh, Topiary Stomper was on mine too. I just was like, oh okay, it's another like good mana, like searching elf. That's fine. And then the triomes. Um, I had three like honorable mentions. It was Bootlegger Stash, Roastmaster, and Luxior. Uh, and I wanted to talk about Endless Detour also. So uh, as you can see, like a lot of similar names coming up on me and Nick's list. Um, I was less cynical about Bootlegger Stash. I was like, no, people are going to see. <laughs> people are going to know. Uh, so let's get into the the actual top 10. Um, do you want to, to, I guess, read off the, I guess, yeah, just read off the top 10. <laughs> sure uh yeah I'm, I'm not gonna spend too much time on the ones that we both got correctly because that i mean a lot of them were freebies so uh number one is an offer you can't refuse uh that's again that's not very surprising number two was professional face breaker number three was the trilands uh number four in the actual top 10 was big score um so big score score is three and a red for an instant as additional cost to cast it you discard a card, uh, and then you can draw two cards and create two treasure tokens. So similar to Pirate's Pillage, um, also sim similar to Unexpected Windfall, uh, but slightly better than either one. So uh, a, a minor improvement, but one that apparently a lot of the community picked up on. Um, there are certainly like a lot of treasure decks floating around the format, and especially in New Capenna. So I can see why it uh, garnered a lot of attention. That kind of makes sense. Uh, number number five is Bootlegger Stash. Uh, it, it appears my cynicism was uh, rewarded here. Um, <laughs> number number six was Ledger Shredder. So that that is the the flyer that connives very very frequently. I wasn't too surprised by that. Um, I, I guess well. It definitely was a sleeper when the set was first spoiled, um, but it quickly garnered uh, a lot of attention. It, it's seeing play in uh, many, many formats at the moment. And so that uh, it makes sense they would eventually like pick up Steam and Commander as well. Uh, number seven was Void Rend. Not a lot of surprise there, although, you know, it is worth noting that, you know, the, the, more narrow a color identity is the harder it is to get it into a lot of decks on EDA trick. So it seems that like a lot of people with Esper decks just immediately picked up a copy and threw it in there, which, you know, I, I would do that as well. Number eight was rumor gatherer. Uh, so this was the, the scry and draw I mentioned, uh, scry and draw engine you mentioned. Mm, I was, the reason I didn't include it on my list is I just wasn't I've seen like enough white cards kind of belly flop. I think that unless it's very, very obviously good, um that people just may not be as keen to jam white new like potentially powerful new white cards in their deck as they are 
like to jam a bootlegger stash in their deck, some like powerful green thing that gets a lot of attention. So I was kind of that's why I didn't include on my list, but I am happy to see Rumor Gatherer show up here. Number nine was, I think, a big surprise for both of us, and I want to hear your um, your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. But it was the common land cycle of lands that uh, enter the battlefield. They immediately are sacrificed. You search your library for one of three different basic land types, put it onto the battlefield tapped, and then you gain a life and shuffle. Um, so we, we saw all five of these pretty high up in the rankings. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? And what made you maybe like overlook them for your predictions? Yeah, I, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it is not common, but fairly common enough that they'll put like common mana fixing lands in a set for, um, limited purposes and like budget mana bases and whatnot and these basically just look like terramorphic expanse and and evolving wilds and like but just more specific um so i kind of just was like oh, okay i mean people might pick them up they might not like i figured it's pretty easy to get a budget mana base together without like too many tap lands and it's kind of what these are and like ash barons is in a lot of decks and like I said, Evolving Wilds is in like 300,000 decks. Terramorphic's in like 240,000 decks. Like, I figured the format would be just like chill or whatever. But I think what I overlooked, nudge nudge, with these ones is the landfall decks that want them. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're looking at the EDH rec data, so the difference in like which ones have more play than other ones uh looks to me to be which ones like riveters outlook is the the most played one and that is black green red which is the same colors as a certain cat man you know um and then following up there's the black red one maestro's theater and then green uh white red cabaretti courtyard with uh, obscure and brokers trailing behind those so it really looks like people are playing these in like landfall decks they're using them to like juice they're like landfall decks just give another land that is two lands actually when you end up like playing it and looking at the list that these are being put in they're in titania they're in omnath locus of rage they're in corvald faker's king jury master of the review like all these things that care about like lands entering phylath world sculptor mina and den wildborn i think that was what we overlooked like people really really love <laughs> landfall <laughs> and these are mm-hmm. very good at that yeah i think that i was a little low on them just because like terramorphic expands and evolving wilds they can go in basically any deck uh whereas these ones are because of the they can only get a couple types of basics each. Um, these are going to be more limited, but uh, honestly, that's not a, a great reason. I think that's not going to prevent you from putting the appropriate one in like your Lord Windgrace deck or whatever. Um, so I, th- uh, I think maybe I should have included this or, or paid more attention to it. Number 10 of the, the the top 10 most adopted cards on EDH rec 
is one that I don't feel bad about missing because this one seems to be <laughs> yeah. completely out of left field. Yeah. Um, so number 10 on this list, uh, the, the 10th most adopted card on EDH rec from Streets of New Capenna, uh, Gala Greeters. Uh, so this is one in a green for an elf druid with alliance. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, choose one that hasn't been chosen this turn. You can put a plus one plus one counter on Gala Greeters. You can gain two life, or you can create a tapped treasure token. And it's a one one. Uh, I really didn't see this one coming. Like to me, um, two of these modes just kind of look like a blank. So, and the the last one is like. I, I mean, like it's easy to get it once per turn, once per round of turns. It's hard to get it multiple times per round of turns, and I don't know. It didn't seem like that much better than just like a mana dork. But what do you think about Gala Greeters? Um, I I think it's a worse mana dork. Like <laughs> I, I was hopefully optimistic when I saw it initially, uh, and then like I to be fair, I've not played it in Commander, but I played it in arena and it's always worse than i want it to be like it's mm-hmm. a fine card for like standard um where the plus one plus one counter actually matters you're like oh i had uh two fish enter the battlefield this turn so i get a treasure and a plus one plus one counter on it but like i don't care about the <laughs> commander you know like I I just kind of want the treasure and the fact that I'm capped at one tapped treasure a, a turn or like on each player's turn kind of blows. Um, mm-hmm. And like, yeah, there there are decks that can make a token on each player's turn, but like, I it doesn't seem like it should warrant that much adoption if it's only being played in those decks to me. So I don't know, maybe people are crazy about the gala greeters maybe they like that it's like fair treasure production because if all treasure came in tapped like the game would look very different (laughs) than it does Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's kind of how i feel about it i i'm just surprised to to see it here it seems like for commander two those modes are pretty maybe it's being played in like a bunch of plus one plus one counter decks too no (laughs) no it's being played in a bunch of token decks so yeah i (laughs) I don't totally get it. I I think um, part of it may have to do with it. I mean, it seems like a fair amount of adoption in Ginny Fay. And she's one of the more popular commanders to come out of Streets of Nuka Pena. Yeah. So maybe that has something to do with it. It is kind of nice that like if you can trigger it once and like can make a trap treasure token get like a dog and then trigger it again um so it's a little easy to get like the full suite of effects i don't know it it still doesn't seem great to me and um maybe maybe like if i build a green treasure deck it'll perform better than i'm expecting but yeah not loving it right now yeah exactly that's pretty much how i feel like yeah there are creatures that can trigger this like commanders that can trigger this but like uh, uh they they're not very popular <laughs> like mm-hmm. i don't think it should have pushed it up so that means it's being played in just decks in general and huh so 
Yeah, let's get into um, predictions. So do you want to go over your list first? Yes. Um, so from Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, uh, the and these are in... Hmm, uh, They're in no I'm not going to... In no particular order, I, I'm. I'll I'll say like, I think the sure. I'm, I'm trying to get like the the most likely ones out of the way first, and then we can yeah really Let, argue about do, the. Let's do. Let's go over our lists, and then we'll talk about the ones we have in common together. Do you want to do that? Okay. Yeah, it sounds yeah. good. So number one on my list is Displacer Kitten. Um, this is the three and a blue for a two two, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you can flicker a non-land permanent. Uh, number two on my list is Wild Magic Surge, and hold up, I need to yeah actually get the text this card again. <laughs> yeah. I, I can read it; I have it up right now. So it's it's hey, an, sure. yeah, it's an instant. It costs red, red, so just two mana, and it says destroy target permanent and opponent controls. Its controller reveals cards from the top of their library until they reveal a permanent card that shares a type with that permanent. They put that card on the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of their library in a random order. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, number three on my list is Ancient Copper Dragon. So this is four red red for a creature Elder Dragon. It's a 6-5 flyer. And when it deals combat damage to a player, roll a d20. You create a number of treasure tokens equal to the result. Um, then w- one thing that's notable about the way we're doing the predictions this time is uh, Wizards didn't make any distinction between the cards in the precons for this oh, set. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the cards in the main set. So they have the same set code. So typically the way we've done things is we haven't included the commander specific cards in the in our predictions because they're technically a different set. Um, but that's not the case here. Everything's just CLB. So I am including uh, pre-con exclusives in my list. And I, I say that now specifically because number four on my list is Black Market Connections. Um, so black market connections is two and a black for an enchantment uh at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase choose one or more you can create a treasure token and lose one life you can draw a card and lose two life or you can create a three two colorless shapeshifter creature token with changeling and lose three life uh so modal effect kind of like uh Frexian Arena plus plus. We'll we'll talk more about it in a little bit, but I'm gonna keep going. Uh number five on my list is Archivist of Ogma. Um so this is one in a white for a two-two halfling cleric with flash. Whenever an opponent searches their library, you gain one life and draw a card. Number six on my list is another uh sweet white card yeah. with flash. <laughs> so many. Uh yeah, it is uh, one in a white for a 2-2. It's called Deep Gnome Terramancer. It's a gnome wizard. It's got flash, as I mentioned. And whenever one or more lands enter the battlefield under an opponent's control without being played, you may search your library for a planes card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. And do this only once each turn. Uh, all right, and number seven on my list is Inspired Tinkering. So this is... Four and a red for a sorcery. Exile the top three cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards and create three treasure tokens. Number eight on my list is Carnelian Orb of Dragonkind. Uh, so this is two and a red for an artifact. Tap, add red. 
If that mana is spent on a dragon creature spell, it gains haste until end of turn. Number nine on my list, and here's where we're getting into the, the ones I'm less confident about. Uh, number nine is Jahira, Friend of the Forest. It is two and a green for a 2-3 legendary creature human elf druid. Tokens you control have tap, add green, and choose a background. And yes, even though this is a commander, I think uh, I think it might have a decent shot of seeing some good main deck adoption. We'll get into more later about why I think that is. Uh, and then finally, number 10 on my list is ooh, one of the more challenging cards to pronounce. Uh, Lazel <laughs> Vlaketh's Champion. Uh, two and a white for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature Gith Warrior. If you would put one or more counters on a creature or planeswalker you control or on yourself, put that many plus one of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player instead. Yeah, and choose a background. Not that last one and super relevant in the main deck. But, uh, <laughs> uh, honorable mentions for me are Kadira, Caller of the Small. Um, that's the orc ranger that when it hits you, you create a bunch of bunnies. Uh, Thrakus, the butcher. That's the green, red dragon peasant that when it attacks, you double the power of each dragon you control until end of turn. And Lazel's Acrobatics. This is the three and a white... Uh, mass blink spell that if you roll really well it can potentially blink your guys twice so zach go ahead and tell us what you are predicting is going to be the most adopted out of commander legends battle for Baldur's gate yeah so uh you're going to note a, a similar swath of cards so uh i had also no particular order i was just kind of mad mad dashing slapping things together changing cards off the list uh, i had wild magic surge um, which uh, we've already read off. Deep Gnome Terramancer, again, already read. Black Market Connections. Spectacular Showdown. So Spectacular Showdown is a red card. It is uh, a sorcery, costs one and a red. Put a double strike counter on target creature, then goad each creature that had a double strike counter put on it this way. And it has overload for four red, 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 so seven mana. So that was one of mine. I had Baldur's Gate. Uh, Baldur's Gate is a land, as you might imagine. Uh, it taps for a colorless. Uh, it is a gate, and it's legendary. And it says, to tap, add X mana of any one color, where X is the number of other gates you control. Um, so, gotta have three gates to make it good, but if you're doing gates, you hopefully got more than that <laughs> at any given point <laughs> in time. Um, I had uh, Archivist of Ogma as well. Displacer Kitten as well, Ancient Copper Dragon, uh, and then I had Karlak, Fury of Avernus. So Karlak uh, is a 5-4 Tiefling Barbarian for 5 mana. Uh, they have whenever you attack, if it's the first combat phase of each turn, untap all attacking creatures. They gain first strike until end of turn. After this phase, there is an additional combat phase. Um... So go to, oh, yeah, I'll get into that in a little bit. That's That was one of mine on the list. And then the, <laughs> the last one that I just want to, this one's mostly because I want to make uh, talk about a certain thing with Nick, is uh, Saravox Tome. So Saravox Tome is a four-mana artifact. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you take the initiative. Uh, it says tap, add colorless. If you have the initiative, add two colorless instead. And three tap, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card. 
You may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Activate only if you've completed a dungeon. So you don't have to have the initiative. You just have to have completed a dungeon. Um, I had some honorable mentions, and this is where my white fixation comes in. It's uh, Ascend from Avernus, which is the X white, 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 uh, reanimate all creatures and planeswalkers with mana value X or less. Uh, Legion Loyalty, the eight mana your creatures have myriad. Uh, Lazel, uh, like Nick said, and then Inspired Tinkering, because that card rules. <laughs> Card's great. <laughs> so the ones we had together, I guess let's start with Displacer Kitten. So that was the first one on your list. Um, why did you put Displacer Kitten on your list? So there's not really in a, a very close comparison. The closest I'd say are like Burgie or Paradox Engine. Um, not not exactly the same, but it's it's just clearly one of these combo engines that don't require a lot of work on your part. Uh, and I think that's a pretty good recipe for high adoption. Um, and a couple other things about it I want to note. I mean, we talked about it plenty on our, our review of the, the cards in the other 99 from Baldur's Gate, but some things I didn't mention at the time that I wanted to bring up now, um, it it's it's notable that it's very good at protecting itself because it can target itself with the blink ability. So if somebody casts a spot removal spell and you cast any instant, uh, you can save it from that spot removal. And it's also worth noting that it's recruiter compliant. So both because it's a 2-2, both Imperial Recruiter and Recruit of the Guard can go find this. And then you can start casting non-creatures and like blinking your recruiters to find other cards. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just easy little uh, value engine there. So that's that's kind of what I'm thinking about with this card. It just seems like a, a really easy card to build around and slots into some existing engines. Yeah. So, I mean, mine, mine, I can say it pretty simply, like, the reason I put it on the list is, like, anything that, like, can be compared to Paradox Engine is probably (laughs) gonna (laughs) see some adoption, is kind of how I was thinking about it. Like, the fact that this is so durable, like you said, and also powerful, um, made me think it's a pretty easy thing to put on the list, and probably something I'm gonna try and pick up a few copies of. Um, So, Wild Magic Surge is the next one we both had on the list and i mean for me it's just it's another chaos warp except it's two mana (laughs) yeah um like it it's maybe not as good as chaos warp but it is two mana and it still hits enchantment like if if they have some enchantment that's just breaking your back and you turn it into literally any other enchantment, you'll probably be fine. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it'd be pretty rare that, like, unless you're hitting their burgeoning for, like, just the sake of it, then you're that's a recipe for destruction, like, for your own demise. But, like, if you're playing smart with it, this is just, like, a good removal spell, which I think most players are going to do. Yeah, no, I'm totally on board with this card. I... The, for me, the two closest points of comparison are Tybalt's Trickery and Chaos Warp, yeah. and both of those see huge amounts of adoption. There just still is not a lot of options for versatile answers in red, uh, so I think this easily makes it into most red decks. Mm-hmm. Um, so next we both had Ancient Copper Dragon, so... Um, I don't know, do you want to <laughs> get into Ancient Copper Dragon? <laughs> Sure. So like the the lens I was kind of 
viewing this card through that that made it easy to compare to some existing ones is like this is kind of just like another in a long line of dragons uh you know for about about this mana value that when they hit you it's extremely or like when when they hit an opponent it's extremely good for you so i was thinking like balefire dragon hellkite tyrant both of them are just big dragons with gnarly on hit triggers um balefire dragons in 18,000 decks on edh rec hellkite tyrant is in 34,000 decks on edh rec i think this is uh i think it's going to clear at I think it's probably going to clear 18k. Maybe it won't overtake Hellkite Hellkite Tyrant, um, but I think it'll be in that neighborhood. I mean, I don't really have to say much more about this card. It's really good. <laughs> and it's six mana. It's like, mm-hmm. it's a regular costed, very good statted dragon, except like you might also win the game that turn or next turn. So absolutely crazy. Um, so the next one we both had is Black Market Connection. So this is the two and a black enchantment um, that at the beginning of your upkeep, you can choose one or more, one or more. You have to pick at least one. Uh, and it's lose a life, make a treasure, lose two life, draw a card, or lose three life, make a three, two changeling, like colorless creature token. Um, so this seems just bonkers. <laughs> it's like, I... If I can't get ahead or get to the point where like spending one to six life a turn for that much free stuff like wins me the game, then like either the entire table had to like arch enemy me, which is fine, or like my deck doesn't actually do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like like if if this just seems like it slots into so many black decks in such a good way, it's like basically ramp uh you're always kind of a turn ahead if you always pick the treasure um you're drawing two cards a turn and then like the three two like it's any tribe and and it's only three life like are you kidding me that's that's crazy so i i thought that this card just absolutely just the amount of value it gives you for what it does is just insane Mm -hmm. no i i'm with you on that i think like the worst if you just view it, view it as like baseline, slightly worse Phyrexian Arena, but with huge amounts of like additional options attached to it, uh, like it's it's clear to see that this card is going to see a lot of play. And I am certainly excited to run it in many of the tribal decks in a black color identity. Yes. God, yeah. <laughs> I just, I wish it wasn't so much money. I think it... At some point, we'll go down because, like, you'll be able to get the decks on, like, a target and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, right now, it's kind of a pain. Uh, the next one we had was Archivist of Ogma. So this is the uh, one in a white 2-2 uh, with flash. Um, when it enters the battlefield... Well, actually, it's just whenever an opponent searches their library, you gain a life and draw mm-hmm. a card. So uh, as long as it's sitting around, you might get a little bit of extra... So how do how do you feel about this guy? Uh, so I'll, I'm I'm gonna try to like think of new things to say that I didn't say in the set review. Um, yeah. <laughs> basically, I think the biggest burden, or, or like something I've sometimes thought of as a burden to adoption, um, is like the cost of the card and like the monetary value. Um, 
but Smuggler's Share is by far the most adopted card from the New Capenna precons, and I think it's also the most expensive card in those precons. <laughs> so I'm like uh, sort of changing my priors on that, and I, I think part of it is like um, you know EDH Rec scrapes deck building websites. I certainly have many, many, many thousands of dollars like worth of cards listed on deck lists on Architect uh, that I I don't own. I don't own like, you know, 20 or, well, probably a lot more than that. I don't own a billion copies of every fetch, for example. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not going to let the monetary of the value of the card discourage me from putting it on my list. Um, and I, it, I think like because it requires so little from you in terms of mana investment, uh, in terms of like timing when you play it, I I think it's just like very low opportunity car very low opportunity cost to play this card, um, because you can always just do something else with your mana. You don't have to commit to it until you're sure it's going to get you the card. Mm. And I there for for what it's worth, there's tribal synergies with the cleric part, like. We just got some new party relevant stuff. We got a cleric commander last year. Um, or rather, I guess like a year and a half ago by yeah, now. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> um, so I, I think it's just a good card. Very easy to cantrip and will likely get more value than that. Not much else to say. It's a, I'm excited for more flash threats in white. I like yes. white being able to hold up you know something like a uh something like a, a flawless maneuver or, or like an indestructible granting effect some or like interaction like a generous gift and then being able to commit relevant permanence to the board if you don't need to cast your interaction mm -hmm. yeah this is something i mean i've said in friend groups but i'll say on air for like a long time is that like you honestly don't need to change that much of white like in some ways i'm like afraid of the juice they've been giving white because like if they keep doing that eventually like things could break at some point or some level like honestly if you just give more white creatures flash or like put a scry two on like every other white card like you don't need to change what white cards do you just need to like make them more effectual and like a little bit more like relevant for the gameplay patterns that you have like said that you want in white like yeah there's been problems with like okay white's supposed to be the token color and then you printed uh scoot swarm or whatever <laughs> like that's that's whatever but um and and they they fixed a lot of these problems now i think i think with this set like they had said uh, well i'll save this for the next card so um because there's one more white card that we both agreed on and um it's a it's a doozy <laughs> um yeah so so deep gnome terramancer tell me what you think about uh, yeah the gnome man so deep gnome can we call this guy can we call this guy gnome man's land how about that, gnome man's that for land. a nickname that's pretty funny so the the gnome man's land again it shares a lot of things in common with uh the archivist of ogma it's a two two for two with flash um it's a ramp so like it's a, a resource that white was severely lacking on 
Um, it can trigger multiple times in a game. Like it probably always triggers once, but then it, it will likely trigger again or more. And if it's triggered one time, then that's probably worth it. And this is the kind of card where like, I'm, it's cool that this exists. Like white, this is like actually a good white catch up <laughs> like card, you know, like this is actually a good way to give white this effect as opposed to like Boreas charger or whatever <laughs> the heck that card was. Mm-hmm. But now we j- they just need to reprint them now. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, one of the things about this set compared to the last Commander Legends is last Commander Legends. They're like, oh my god, you're gonna, you're not gonna believe how good the white cards are. And then we saw the white cards, and it was like the sword that makes an angel. Like sometimes, <laughs> and yeah, the thing that like the four mana three three that can like pull an equipment out of your top six. Yeah. And- <laughs> And it was like, mm, I guess you're right. But if we'd seen this set back then, like I actually would have been like, wow, they they did it. They they really juiced it. They're like pushing white in a direction, like making it more powerful. So great. Now just reprint these cards. And so one of the things, a reason I want to bring this up with the uh, no man's land right here is because uh, I don't know in other than like commander decks like how they can reprint this guy very well you know same with archivist of ogma like if i I, one of the reasons uh, chaos warp was like not one billion dollars for the longest time is they put it in every commander set every year for like six years Mm -hmm. Uh, and if they didn't do that that card would have been so much money but it's not because they reprinted it and so we just like i don't think we need more deep gnome terramancers I think we need physically more deep gnome terramancers. <laughs> you know, I think we need physically like just more copies of Archivist of Ogma. Like print it in like decks often so that people have them in the same way they have like Knight of the White Orchid. You yeah, know? I wanted to to ask you, what do you think about sort of completely demolishing the walls between magic and D&D when it comes to uh, like sort of flavor neutral sets. So like, let's say they bring back course or let's say they, the next time they print a core set, um, you know, it'll, it'll like magic 2023 or whatever. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think about just like treating Faerun as just another or like the Forgotten Realms as just another plane that they can pull reprints from. No, I think I I think they should do that. I don't think they should limit themselves in that regard. Um because like the flavor between magic and D&D has always been like pretty close. They tried to keep them distinct with like different creature types and stuff like that for a long time. But like the dam is broken and they've been printing these like D&D source books with magic planes for four years now five years so i i don't think it's like people are strangers to the concept of having an is it mage in their like campaign and i don't think people would hate having a zorn in a corset you know like i i think that dam is broken and and the flavor isn't so far away from a normal commander or magic set um that's kind of a Freudian slip. <laughs> <laughs> um that it would annoy enough people to do that especially in a course like a flavor agnostic or like a plain agnostic like setting yeah, yeah. My, my i certainly like 
hope that they would do that, but I'm wondering if it's like a business decision on their part. Like they want to bring like these D&D players into the fold and and get them to become like regular magic consumers. Um and I'm just wondering like how many targeted sets it takes before they can just like fully you know mix the two together put the the sugar and spice in with the chemical x <laughs> um yeah so I, yeah i mean so i don't this, know i don't know if we're there yet no and and just last thought on this particular point before we bring it on bring it on to the bring the heat is uh like there's a history in R&D in, in Studio X of like them doing things simply because they did it. There's no reason Black had to only not kill Black creatures for forever. It was just that was what was precedent. There was no reason the draft order when new sets came out, especially in three block structures, that they had to draft the first set in the block first. Even like I was just listening to the Making Magic with Mark Rosewater where they were talking about a fifth dawn and he was like it was really hard to make the set relevant because he drafted it last. Mm-hmm. And they're like, looking back, we should have just always done that you draft the newest set first. <laughs> but that was just how we did it back then. And it wasn't until somebody said that that we we're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So I think this also might just be that, you know, it might just be like, oh, yeah, but we don't print Faerun cards in other sets. But yeah, so I guess let's just keep on moving. So what is like we have four cards different. What what card do you want to talk about that I don't have? Okay. Um let's see. I am in so I think the easiest one for me, the the one I'm most confident about of my remaining four is inspired tinkering. Mm-hmm. Um so Ignite the Future is in 12,500 decks on EDH Rec. Um, Inspired Tinkering certainly looks a lot like it. The The net mana cost is slightly less. Um, it doesn't have the option to flash it back for you know when you have crazy amounts of mana. But I think it's mostly better than Ignite the Future, and that's like cross the threshold we usually use to determine if something's a staple. Mm-hmm. Uh, also worth noting just in terms of uh like it's it's very very good for prosper both on the the exile cast side and the treasure side and prosper is currently the ninth most popular commander on edh rec mm-hmm. like even if it was just solely prosper decks adding a copy of this to their lists that would probably be enough to push this i mean that's 7300 decks right there uh that that would certainly like make it high in the rankings at least initially after release so that's my argument for that card i think it's like the most generically useful out of the 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 four cards i had in my my last my bottom four slots yeah i totally see that one i i think that it's also really good this is in my honorable mentions like if you're if your commander makes this cheaper if you're playing like a mizzix or a vadric like this card goes off the rails um if you're playing like all of the versions of goblin electromancer you can brawl chief of compliance um jace's sanctum that kind of stuff now now we'll have wizards of fey from this set that also make this just absolutely insane (laughs) um i think that's worth it we'll get font of magic in this set there's a lot of good spells on your cards in this set 
Um, Font of Magic is in this set. If you're going to run that, this goes off the rails. Because as soon as you're paying less than five for this, it's like crazy good. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's really good. So I, I I think it's it'll go in decks like Prosper that like just want the exile. It'll go in the new green red lady who I can't remember her name. Um, I'm sorry, there's eighty of them, guys. Um. There's like 80 new commanders. I can't remember all their names. On top of those ones that care about like exile or treasures, which is uh, already <laughs> like a lot of commanders, uh, this has a lot of homes. Faldorn, that's her name, who makes a wolf. So yeah, I, I can see that one. One on my list that you didn't have that I had was um, the Karlak, Fury of Avernus. This one, like I think I mentioned when I said it, Goto's in 11,000 decks on EDH Rec. And Goto is specifically worded, so you get the extra combat. Basically, this is what Goto says: is uh, the the specifically the point I'm trying to make with this card is whenever Goto attacks for the first time each turn, untap it and all samurai you control. After this phase, there's an additional combat phase. So, this card, uh, Goto, commander players have played it for forever. Um, if your team has vigilance, then they don't need to be samurais to be able to do their thing. Um, and the reason why I'm mentioning Karlak here is because uh, it's basically that, but better. Like they get first strike when you attack. You don't. They don't need to be samurais. You don't need to have your team have vigilance. You don't get the the. Uh, it, I mean, go to six mana, but you do get a free equipment. Um, so there's a, a few things that are different about the two of them. But I think if you're playing Goto for like the extra combat. And I guess that's what this comes down to is like, are you playing Goto for the extra combat? Or are you playing it for the equipment? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I am throwing my money down right now on the extra combat. So I think Karlak is better if that's what you're looking for. So that's why I had it on my list. Mm-hmm. So my, I, I definitely was thinking about Karlak. Um, my counterpoint is that it's, much more difficult to combo with than Godo. Mm. Um, so the way it's worded, because it says like if it's the first f- combat phase of the turn, um, there's not an easy way to get around that. Or like, you know, with Godo, there's uh, lots of tricks you can do. You, and even when like a card is worded like if this, you know, if this is the first time this is attacking, well, if you blink that, then you know it's it doesn't remember that it attacked previously. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not really a way to get around Karlak's restriction. I do like, you know, it's five mana. Uh, you get an extra combat step every turn. It's pretty sweet. But the the lack of... The, the fact that it's, like, fundamentally fair mm-hmm. is is what made me, like, reluctant for this one. Okay. I got you. What's another card on your list that was different? Why did you put it there? Gosh, now, now it gets a lot harder. It does um, get harder. <laughs> so I'm not crazy confident about any of these next three, and I'll just list them all, and maybe you tell me which you think is most likely. The, ne- the next three cards I listed are just ones that um, are really useful, but in a specific archetype. So like Carnelian Orb of Dragonkind, um, that's really good in the dragon deck. Dragons are the third most popular tribe, but it, but they're also the only deck that would ever play this. Um, 
Jahira, friend of the forest. That's the the legend that makes your tokens tap. So super great in token decks, but that's still going to be a minority of decks out there. Like whereas, you know, all the other cards I talked about today are ones that can fit into most decks. Um, and then Lazel, like this champion, you know, there are plus one plus one counter decks. There are planeswalker decks, but that's really the limit of where this could be good. And Lazel isn't even like that insane. I, I don't know which of those three do you think has like the best chance. I'm not really <laughs> confident about any of these. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's kind of where I'm at too. I mean, so honestly, I think like as funny as it is, I think like the the orb is mm-hmm. like good because like I when I was I put Lazel on my list, but because Brokers Brokers Ascendancy didn't make it, I it like made me backtrack on that a little bit but uh, lazel was also on my like honorable mentions so so it's pretty tough okay. <laughs> here okay actually i'll go to i'll go to bat for the orb mm-hmm. and here's why okay so like any i think that like any card that is a staple in like a major set theme or or, or like related to a major set theme has a better chance of adoption. Mm-hmm. So like big score and bootlegger stash and professional facebreaker all being related to treasure in the same set when they're introducing a bunch of treasure commanders. Um has a I think that that's sort of why they mm-hmm. see like maybe higher than expected adoption. Because like uh you know EDH rec just scrapes it, it just scrapes what's out there and the most recently added and most recently updated decks are the ones that you know are influencing this these rankings of like the most adopted cards from a particular set mm-hmm. i think that people are adding more decks more often than they're going back then and updating them yeah so if if so the fact that like Baldur's gate has this dragon theme uh you know there's the the all the teamer uh commanders are, are kind of dragon related yeah so I, I think that that might push dragon staples higher in the ranking yeah that's kind of my thought too and i, I just looked up dragon's horde because this is like a three mana mana rock so whenever it enters the battlefield you put a gold counter on it and then it has two abilities one is tap add a mana of any color and then one is tap remove a gold counter draw a card um and this is in 18,000 decks basically <laughs> on EDA track. Um I, I've known about this card. It's it is a obviously a dragon tribal card. I think it gets a lot better with all the dragonborn in this set in particular, but like it goes in every single dragon commander. And that's also making me think that the orb is gonna probably make it. So I'm gonna say like we can put because uh, inspired tinkering was on my list too so i'm saying let, let's put that on the joint list and then okay. we can put the orb on the joint list but i'm I'm gonna try and pitch you a card uh for the next slot which is the Baldur's gate so Baldur's gate um so i think one of the things that has kept like mazes end because one one of the only commanders that was running mazes end at the time uh was Golos Tireless Pilgrim. I remember like mm-hmm. one of the things that 
people said when Golos came out was like, oh, I can finally play a Maze of Zen Commander. Obviously, that was like usurped by literally any other idea you'd have ever <laughs> with mm-hmm. Golos. Um, the other one is like Child of Alara. You don't need permanence to win with Maze's End. But for the most part, Mazes are bad unless you're using them somehow. Uh, and in this set, we're getting Nine Fingers Keen. Um, we'll have enough gates to uh, both win with Maze's End and also like trigger Nine Fingers Keen pretty often. There's a lot of cards, uh, Circuitous Route and the Ilk, that like get gates, put them onto play, search for them, whatever. Um, on top of like Keen and other just like land spells that we've gotten over the years in general. Um, and I think if you're going to run Maze's End, you're going to run Baldur's Gate. <laughs> you know, like I don't think those two are going to be separable after like this set comes out. Um, so even though Maze's End doesn't have like it, it has almost 6,000 decks, it's 5,850 decks on EDH Rec. I am convinced that like almost all of those decks are going to end up being, and, and at least all the keen decks, the nine fingers keen decks are going to have that card in them. Um, so how do you feel about that? How do you feel about gate decks, gates as mana bases? What's, what's your, your feeling on that? So uh, Alex white clay our, our frequent collaborator, is really pushing um like gates as a as like the way to go for a budget mana base um because they have all these synergies now like if you are committing to gates in your your mana base you get access to some some ramp options that you wouldn't get to use otherwise um and especially like now that we have these thriving gates you it's really really easy to use them to fix your mana like circuitous route for two thriving gates is just like perfect mana so Mm -hmm. just um so kind of with that in mind and and if people like who are running budget mana bases just like lean toward gates um then there are potentially a lot of decks out there that Baldur's gate could have like low opportunity cost to include or like to, to fit in your deck um so i'll i'll buy that and i'll i'll also just assume that like because gates are like a loud theme in this set that's also gonna lead some people to build gate decks mm-hmm. That that's kind of what i was thinking so like with the orb i feel similarly to the gates like not only are we getting a gate commander, and, and granted, they're only three colors, you know, not a five color gate commander. That that's kind of my thinking on it was like, yes, like with with the the orb, like dragons are a big part of the set and gates are a big part of the set. So even though Keen is only three colors instead of five colors, I think I I would push and say that I think gates are going to be a little more popular. Like they're gonna, this is gonna give them a push. And if you're playing a gates deck, then Baldur's Gate is gonna be like one of the gates in there. Um, mm-hmm. It could be um, because there is the uh, the other one that makes gates enter untapped. Uh, <laughs> let me, let I, me... I'm not going to make you recall it. It's fine. I, there, There is a gate that makes your gates come in untapped. Yeah, in, in this set. So uh, 
it could be that like that one gets played more than than the Baldur's Gate does the um I can't find it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but one of those ones is what I would say. Uh which brings us to I guess the last card. So I, I'm gonna make you talk about this even though I don't want to put it on the list. Initiative cards. So I put Saravox Tome because I think it's probably the most generic way to put initiative into your deck. Mm. Uh we've talked about in the last like 99 cards episode some of the adventurers um the white one and the red one in particular seemed like my two favorite ones um the white one in particular is uh three mana which is uh, pretty good uh the red one is four mana uh, the red one has impulse draw the white one untaps a creature um and they're all named after like areas in the forgotten realms that you can like have adventures in do you like i don't know how do you feel about including the initiative in your deck uh so white plume adventure is the white one like that's three mana that that is the cheapest one <laughs> that we were given <laughs> even in the main set like there, there's cards that cost three and then have an activation to give you the initiative in the main set so how do you like do you think people are going to play these cards in the main set do you think saravox tomb is going to be the go-to initiative card or do you think it's going to be something else so i think it's what i would definitely use as my go-to for the initiative um and it is it certainly does a lot for four mana like the fact that it also you know if it's what introduces the initiative you also get a basic land into your hand so i let me let me do some quick research. I just want to get an idea of like the rate of adoption of like the various monarch cards because um because I think like people really like that mechanic. Uh, I guess also we need to look at like venturing into the dungeon. I Oh I'm, yeah, I can do that. Let me do venturing and and you can do the other one and Yeah, I'm just um, trying to get a sense of like how much people like these mechanics because that's really gonna influence like i would want to put this card in my deck because i i think this is a really neat um thing to add to a game of commander it's likely just going to make things more fun but it is also like more to track um it is it's like requires you to have extra game pieces it's it's kind of a pain in that sense yeah so like venturing isn't crazy popular no but the monarch is uh but i think they like push the power on monarch higher than venturing so that could interest i'm gonna say yes we can include this it's got a colorless identity so it's easy to fit in a lot of decks um you know there's certainly a lot of popular sisay's ring variants yeah actually that's a great sisay's ring um well well okay this is ring is like the worst one so. yeah but that's that's what i mean like it's still in eight thousand seven hundred decks and hedron archive is in like oh it's gonna be in more, a billion yeah like fifty thousand yeah. decks so it's basically those but it introduces the initiative which i think is better than venturing i think that's one of the problems with venture was like how <laughs> how weak it was mm-hmm. <laughs> like even if you're doubling up the triggers on it it was like Pitiful. Oh, I get to scry two instead of scry one. What? Yeah, or or just like oh, I make 
four skeletons after venturing five, six times. <laughs> like, <laughs> like absolutely crazy. So this seems a lot more like the Undercity um, just does a lot more like and initially does a lot more like like you get a land as the first one so all of a sudden you're you're drawing a card you can either scry two which is pretty close to drawing a card or like make a creature bigger uh you can go to creature get a treasure after that or gain have a player lose five life whatever you can literally draw a card after that or you can make a four one with menace and then the final room in it is crazy it's reveal the top 10 cards of your library put a creature from among them onto the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it it gains hexproof until your next turn then shuffle so like if you finish the undercity like it's a free creature from the top 10 which is something most decks need so i i think they juiced the initiative way way more and i think that people want to play because the mark is like crazy great like it's really fun Mm-hmm. so okay i didn't actually expect you to agree with this one <laughs> so i'm 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 happy to include it. <laughs> here's something like tangential just a question i'm wondering sure. um so do you think in terms of like mm, convenience of play do you think it's going to be a problem that like the the consequences of missing the initiative or like fixing a missed initiative trigger are going to be like way more complex than like missing a monarch trigger because like you know we've 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 played plenty of games with the monarch and if you know you hit me but i forgot to give you the monarch you know we can just fix it the next turn like oh okay sorry here's the monarch token you just draw your card but with the initiative like if you took the initiative and i missed it like it it could have an impact on like how the rest of the game progresses mm, significantly. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I in that case, oh, I should have progressed into the dungeon. Oh, I would have goaded that guy, so it couldn't have hit me. Mm-hmm. Like, it gets weirder than the monarch and a lot more difficult to like correct the game state. Do you think that that might be an issue? Do you think that that's gonna maybe limit? how excited people are going to be to adopt Mm. initiative cards that's a great question i am this is entirely like my opinion and not based in fact like so when i play with people in general who aren't i mean even people who are like really enfranchised like it tends to be the case that triggers are just missed in general and especially in most commander games, like people are pretty forgiving and or there's like the will of the council, like, oh, I played the wrong land. Can I put this land in instead? And people are like, yes or no, or depending on like how egregious the act was, you know, you can kind of appeal to the court of the friends and see what they say about the maneuver you take. And that happens often enough that I don't think uh, missing like an arena or like trap oh you actually would have died because you're at five less life like that kind of stuff um are going well, to be i think st- that's one that like people are really going to contest like no you missed your- like if it's mm-hmm. you know if it's just like oh you forgot to draw a card for the monarch I'll, I'll let you have that but if it's like no you missed your trigger and i'm i'm not about to die two turns later as a result mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean like, yeah that's, that's like really significant yeah but that's the kind of that i guess that's what i'm trying to say is i think that happens often enough that people 
like that's just part of magic so i don't think it's like necessarily um unfun enough to prevent people from playing with it that's how i feel about it and people are like excited to take the monarch you know like they're literally like they'll be like "Mm, i I should attack that person but i do want to draw a card (laughs) so i feel like it's the kind of thing where it makes itself harder to forget and like Mm -hmm. harder to forget the triggers than like other mechanics because like you kind of are actively like you're handing like a token or something across the table to your friend that attacked you or whatever so they admit it it's incredibly like complicated dungeons are very wordy and silly and like not very (laughs) like we needed like just different game pieces for dungeons you know but um i think the inner city is like in the initiative in general is is fine and good i i I am going to lean on the side of people are going to play it even though it is complicated. So okay. that's that's where I'm going to land on it. All right. Well, because like I'm not more confident in my cards, uh, oh. my <laughs> suggestions, I'm I'm happy to put Saravox Tome as number 10 and let's just see how this set turns out. Cool. So that means our our collective list is Displacer Kitten, Wild Magic Surge, Ancient Copper Dragon. Black Market Connections, Archivist of Ogma, Deep Gnome Terramancer, Inspired Tinkering, Carnelian Orb of Dragonkind, Baldur's Gate, and Saravox Tome. So, yeah, we will see what that looks like in a few months. And we can always go back and be like, ah, I was right. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was going to be Spectacular Showdown or whatever, which I'm also not confident on. I guess, listeners, that's our top 10. Let us know the cards that you like the most, and we'll just bring this on home. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, before we go, I'm going to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, The White Clays, Hannah, Andy, James, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Emmanuel, Andrew, Vasilios, Logan, Frugal, Brutal, Carl, Oscar, Danny B, Daniel, Iriel, Jean-Francois, Drew, and Recta. Thank you all for supporting the show. If you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at commander theory. And on Twitter, I am at fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commander theory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, You can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think.